0: Yes and amen He has done great things God, you do great things Oh, hero of heaven You conquered the grave You freed every captive And break every chain Oh, God, you have done great I see you. Oh, Kilo of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captain and break every chain, oh God. You had some great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the life. Oh, Jesus, our Savior. Tim up this morning. is overcome. and mercy triumphs when the third day dawn Darkness was denied when the stone was gone Unstoppable God, let Your glory go on and on. Impossible they shall be done unstoppable God let your glory go on Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Unstoppable God, let your glory go on and on. Impossible things in your name, they shine. Go on the melody surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies to all my No! no. You never fail me, waiting for change to. still stands, great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, this is my confidence, you never still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness i'm still in your hands this is my
1: Um, The title of the message this morning is Practicing Righteousness. Now, why would we talk on practicing righteousness? Well, John wrote this little epistle to the church, and it was toward the end of his life. He's the last remaining eyewitness of Jesus, and he's dealing with a problem that is creeping into the church. Uh, This problem is there are people, Gnostics, uh, that believe that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. What's more is they also believe that um, they don't really, it doesn't matter what they do in the flesh. They can live their life any way they want to, as long as they call themselves Christians and everything is good. And, and so John is, is kind of combating that error, that heresy in the church, and he is teaching uh, the church of the importance of these three truths that we've talked about last week and this week, this, this little spiral pattern of, of topics that he keeps coming back to, and that is truth, obedience, and love. And so he is trying to combat this error. Why? Because there were groups of people who were practicing righteousness, but there's also a group of people that said it didn't matter that we practice righteousness. I mean, we just live, as I said, any way we want to, as long as we say uh, we believe in God or we're good with God, then all is well. And he said nothing can be further from the truth. So talking about practicing righteousness today, let's look at the, the text, we'll look at chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. So 12 verses, let's read those quickly and then we'll talk about it for a few moments. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation, say hope. All right, so this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He is pure. Verse 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. Anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know Him or understand who He is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them or God's seed is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who the children of God and who the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others or other believers does not belong to God. Father, would you bless the reading of your word and would you put words in my mouth and help me to share, Lord, uh, a message that would encourage each one of us um, today. I humble myself before you and I ask that you would just um, use me today and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So so John writes this little epistle um, and in this, as I said, he's combating this Gnosticism and there's this this belief that it really doesn't matter what you do um, in your flesh or in your real life because the Spirit is separate from the flesh. And um, on top of that, they're saying that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. Um, And and so John's saying, look, that what we heard, that which we've seen, that which we actually put our hands on, we touched this Jesus, I'm an eyewitness of that, John is saying. "And, And so I want to tell you what Jesus said, what he declared to us, I want to declare you. And then he begins to unpack what it looks like to be a genuine child of God, to be in genuine Christian fellowship. We talked about that in the first week. So he talks about what it looks like. He says, Those who say they're in the light, but they're walking in darkness, they're not practicing the truth. They're, they're lying. And so he's saying, there, There's those that say one thing, but they live a different way, and they're not practicing the truth. David last week talked about the pitfalls that we need to avoid loving the world and um, avoiding the Antichrist. and John lays that out as well to these early believers. But then in verse 28, it's almost like a bridge between what he's already talked about and what he's about to start talking about. Verse 28, he says, and now, as though he's kind of changing his flow of thinking. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. John wants his readers to know, and I want us to be reminded this morning that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return, and he's reminding the early believers and these ones that would claim to be believers but not living according to the standard of the gospel. He's saying, listen, Jesus is coming back, and when Jesus comes back, there's going to be two groups. There's going to be one group of people who are going to be full of courage or confidence, and there's going to be another group that's going to shrink back in shame. Uh, And he says, when Christ comes back, I want you to abide in him or to remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he does return, you'll be in the right group that you will be able to have confidence on the day that he returns. Now, the word confidence here, um, it speaks of um, public speech. It's been able to declare something publicly. Like, um, I think the greatest example of this is uh, Will Ferrell. Now, now follow me for a second. Um, Most of you are going to watch this movie around Christmas Christmas time uh, called Elf, right? Buddy the elf. So there's one scene in that movie where, you know, he's being introduced to the Santa's workshop. And, and the guy says, this is the North Pole. And he goes, no, it's not. And he says, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And the guy's just looking at him like, you're weird. And, uh, you know, because he's been there, right? He knew what it was. But the next scene is what I'm talking about. The guy gets on the intercom. He says, all right, everybody, I want to let you know that tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., Santa is going to be here. Will Ferrell goes, Santa here." I know him. That's what the confidence is that is spoken of here in this particular verse. He's saying that when Christ returns, there will be those that will say, There he is. It's Jesus. I know him. To remain in him is to say, I want to be confident at his return. Yet on the other side, there are going to be those that will shrink back in shame. Have you ever felt shame? I have as a pastor, okay, as a Christian, as a pastor, I have one of those days where I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I wake up kind of in a funk, you know, I'm just not feeling it. And I, and I put the hoodie on, you know, and I, and I I pull up the top there, and I put my hat on, pull it down low, put on some sunglasses, and I just want to kind of be incognito uh, that week. I don't want anybody to know who I am. or I just want to lay low. And you might encounter someone, and maybe you just got a bad attitude. I've done it. I'm just being honest here. And as you talk to them, you discover that, uh, man, they're just like full of Jesus. And, and as you hear them talk, you start feeling that shame, like, you know what, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and why don't I feel like that, or why I'm not acting like that? You, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever felt that way? Well, here's one I've experienced, it's kind of funny, and, I, and I, I'm very careful with how I respond um, in this situation, but I always laugh on the inside. And what I'm talking about is I don't look like a preacher most days. And I'm okay with that. I've always been that way. I don't care to to just dress. I could pull him out, point him out in a crowd. Oh, that guy's definitely a preacher. Look at the haircut. Look at the loafers. He's a preacher all the way, right? I don't want that to be said of me. And so I try not to look like one. And I will meet someone. And as they're talking, they will be like, you know, F this, F that. And they're just dropping all this language. And I'm just kind of like grinning. Just wait for it. And they're talking, and they're talking, and finally we get around to, "What do you do?" <laughs> I'm a pastor. Pooh. <laughs> and they'll say something like, "You know, I'm sorry. I, I need to get control of my language, man. I, I shouldn't be talking like that and all this stuff." And I just, I'm always very graceful. Hey, listen, I've heard it all. Yeah, I, mean, I used to say those same things, those same things. So it's all good. Uh, but at the same time, I'm laughing. That that at that moment, that person is feeling a little shame, right? And so there's two responses to the return of Christ. Christ is, not maybe, but he is going to return. And when he returns, he says there are two options. There's two camps. There's one that's going to be confident, full of courage at his appearing. Like, there he is. I've been looking for him my whole life, and I'm so excited. Here he is. Hi, Jesus. You're me. You know, we're doing this kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, there will be those that will shrink back in shame. Why? Because we're like, oh, uh, that was today. <laughs> if I'd have known you were coming back today, Jesus, that I might have fixed a few of these things here. I'm a little embarrassed, so I'm going to kind of shrink back a little bit, and hopefully you won't point me out or get eye contact. You know what I'm saying? So that's what he's saying in verse 28. He says, "Dear children, remain in fellowship or abide in Him." Say abide. Now, so I want to talk for a second. What is practicing? Um, righteousness what does it look like and what does it mean so what it looks like and i'm going to make the case that the word abide in practicing righteousness are kind of one and the same because the word abide is the greek word minnow in fact john loves that word so much that he uses it 27 times in this little epistle abide 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 over and over minnow 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 in the greek In fact, he's already used it 10 times before he gets to verse 28. So looking back at what he said when when connected to this word minnow, let's look at what it looks like to practice righteousness or to abide in him. So in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Those who say they abide in him should live their lives as Jesus did. And so um, those who abide in Christ use Jesus as their example and they follow his lead. Amen? So abiding in Christ or practicing righteousness looks like um, using Jesus as our example and following him. We are led by Christ. And in verse 9, he says, if anyone says I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light or abiding. There's the minnow word again. And so we get from there that um, what does it look like to abide? It means that we love the other believers. See what was going on. The Gnostics, um, they were claiming to be in Christ or good with God, but they were living their lives um, totally contrary to that confession, but they actually hated some of the other believers. And my caution would be today is if we say we are followers of Christ and we have a problem with another believer, we need to be careful with that because this is one of the characteristics of abiding in Christ is to love the brothers. Yes, even the ones that may seem unlovable. Right? So abiding in Christ means loving the fellow believers. In verse um, chapter, let's see chapter two verse 14. Um, we learn that God's word lives in our hearts. When we abide in Him, His word abides in us. And so that's another characteristic of this word Minnow. Later he talks about not loving the world, but he finishes by saying, um, anyone who does what pleases God, so there's this desire. To please God, it says we'll abide forever. Minnow, so we know that those who abide want to please God. How I many you know we don't do it perfectly? And then he warns about the Antichrist, and he, he mentions a group of people who've walked away from the fellowship. And he says they left us, but they really didn't belong to us, because if they had belonged to us, they would have abided, they would have stayed with us. And so we know that to abide is to be committed to the fellowship of the believers, right? To, to be committed to the, the the church, the local body, we're committed to fellowship. We know that that is also associated with this word, minnow. And verse 24, so remain faithful to what you have been taught. What have we been taught? We've been taught the truth of who Christ is, right? We talked about how important truth is and being faithful to what we've been taught. Also, it says, if you do you will remain or abide in fellowship with the son and with his father. And so here's that truth, obedience, and love just kind of interwoven there. And so on and on and on we see these characteristics of this word minnow or to abide. And the word abide means to remain. It means to stay, to reside, or to continue a certain state, condition, or activity. So when we abide, it's meaning that we're continuing in a certain state, condition, or activity. So you see why I tie those two together, practicing righteousness, right? So practicing righteousness is abiding in him. It's my belief. And so he says, hey, if you practice righteousness or if you abide in him, when he returns, uh, you can be full of confidence and not shrink back from him in shame. Now, some people have interpreted this thing differently, some say, well, Shane, that shows us that there are those, the the shrinking back from him in shame is referencing those who are not in the family of God, those that are not saved. And I would say that's probably true, but in this particular verse, look who he's addressing. He's addressing dear children, and he's saying remain in Christ, or abide in Christ, so that in return you won't shrink back in shame. So I think that um, it's not specifically speaking of the unsaved here in this verse but it could another one would look at this and say see this proves that you could lose your salvation our Arminian thought would be um, we need to remain in fellowship with him that when he returns we can have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame so if we're not abiding in him then we can shrink back in shame see there you go you can lose your salvation and and you could probably make that case with this one verse um, isolated from the rest of scripture. Because when we read the rest of Scripture, we know that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can brag about it. Amen? And we also know that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until when? Until the day of redemption, the day that Christ returns again. And so I don't believe it's speaking there, uh, but I do believe it is speaking of the Christians. And he's saying, remain in this fellowship, abide, continue in, in this fellowship with God, so that when he returns, that you will have confidence before him and not shrink back in shame. Well, Shane, are Christians going to shrink back in shame? Well, the Apostle Paul speaks of it twice, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about somebody building. He says, I've laid a foundation, and no other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid. That is Christ Jesus. And I've built on this foundation, and all of us are builders, and we're also building on the foundation. Gold, silver, Wood, hay, stubble, and he says the day, talking about the day that Christ does return, there's going to be a judgment. We call it the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to try our works. He's going to test them with fire. And when that fire is, is lit up, all of that, our, our works will be laid there, and whatever doesn't burn up is your reward. Now, some will have not have spent their life well with Christ, and they will kind of squandered opportunities, and it's like laying wood, hay, and stubble. And how many know what happens when fire hits those three things? Do you see there that um, one day we'll stand before Christ and there will be the opportunity to shrink back in shame because we'll feel like we wasted the opportunities that he's put in front of us? And he says it's not a salvation thing. He says that person, that builder will be saved but as one just narrowly escaping the fire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says whether we're in the body or away from the body, we make it our aim, our goal is to please the Lord because we'll all stand before him and give an account of our lives, what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So there's this idea that when Christ comes, he's coming to um, offer this, this judgment, and it's not a judgment like the great white throne judgment. That comes later when he judges the unbelievers. But for the followers of Christ, we will stand, and it's going to be so much bigger than like a Sunday school awards banquet. We will stand before him and give an account of our lives, and there will be an opportunity for great shame. And so as John says, I also say, Remain in him, abide in him, practice righteousness so that when he comes, we can stand with confidence. Kind of like Will Ferrell. That's my Jesus right there. Amen? Are you with me so far? All right, at this rate, we'll get through in about three hours if I cover all these verses. So um, hang with me. Verse 29 says, Since we know that Christ is righteous, so there's a standard, there's no error in him, there's no sin in him. He says, Since we know that he's the ultimate standard of righteousness, Christ is righteousness. He says, we also know that all who do what is right say practice righteousness. That's what that means. He says, those who do what is right or practice righteousness are God's children. Question, does that mean everybody that just does some good moral things are good with God? No. You're like, well, Gandhi was a good man. He did a lot of great things. The standard is not righteousness as we would look at it um, as a human race, but the standard as defined by God. God, who is truly righteous, the standard that was manifested in the life of Christ, that's the standard. And he says, we know that Christ is righteous, and when we live our lives doing what is righteous according to his standard, then we can know we're the children of God. Are you following me so far? All right, so in verse 3, and I love this because it's a great encouragement. It says see. The word see there is an imperative. It's like he's saying, hey, behold, check this out. How very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. So I mentioned a while ago what it looks like, uh, talking about practicing righteousness. That is, that um, we follow Jesus' example. We love the brothers. His word abides in us, and we want to please God and um, that we want to stay connected in fellowship. And I left out a minute ago that we've received the Holy Spirit, how much of a blessing that is that we have the Spirit of God living in us when we abide in him, and he guides us, he comforts us. But what does it mean for us if we practice righteousness? Well, the first one I've already mentioned, and that means that we can stand with confidence on the day that Christ returns. In fact, he'll mention this a couple of the times in this little epistle talking about confidence at the return of Christ. And I love that, right? Because my thinking is God is so holy and I'm so imperfect. How could any one of us ever stand before a holy God with any ounce of confidence? It's because our confidence is not in us, but it's on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Amen? And so he's saying that when we abide in him, we abide in fellowship with him, that when he returns, we can stand in confidence like Will Pharaoh and go, that's my Jesus. I've been waiting so long my whole life for the return of Christ. I know him. Hi, Jesus right? That's what it means for those that practice righteousness, is we can have confidence. It also means that we can know we are in his family. That's encouraging, isn't it? Especially around the holidays. Nobody wants to be involved in a family and be included in a family. And so what he tells us in that verse 29 is those who practice righteousness, that is following the standard that Christ has set before us, he says we can know that we are God's children. I love family, don't you? I said, I love family, don't you? I almost left that alone, but I thought, you know, we we probably need to hit on that because Thanksgiving coming, you know, it's coming and that brother-in-law or sister-in-law is going to show up and you're like, not really, Shane, I don't. But I'm so excited to know that we can be in the family of God. The old hymn, Yes, He Included Me, when he said, Whosoever, He Included Me. That meant me too. So we can know that we're in the family of God. Verse three. So see how very much our Father loves us. Listen, I I don't think we completely understand the depth of God's love for humanity. And he says, see how very much our Father loves us. I believe practicing righteousness along with confidence and knowing that we're in his family, is to know that we are loved by God. I struggle with that sometimes. I know God loves the world, but does he love me? And maybe you felt that same way. He says, for those who practice righteousness, we can know the love of God. We are his children, and that is what we are. He's going to say, but the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. The word know there simply means like accept him. They don't accept him, therefore they don't accept us in our role as children of God. Verse 2, he says, dear friends, we are already God's children. Do you just know that today? That because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of my hope in him, I know that I know that I know that I am one of God's children. Amen? So another thing that this does for us, this practicing righteousness, it gives us this confidence that we, we know who we are and also we know who we will become Now, we don't know everything about what it's going to be like. The Bible says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither can enter the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. So I don't think we completely know what it's going to be like, but we do know now who we are. We are God's children. And we do know one day we will be like him when he appears. Mind blown, right? When Christ appears, our bodies are changed, and the twinkling of an eye, that sinful. Um, that sinful nature in us or that just that bent towards always doing the wrong thing is gone and it says that we will immediately be like Christ. That ought to get you pretty excited this morning if you're in Christ. He says, we know that we are God's children but what he, uh, what he has not yet shown us or but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is And all who have this eager expectation, that word hope there is a beautiful word. And I believe for those who practice righteousness, again, not perfectly. We're not going to always hit this thing right. But when we make a practice of trying to do it God's way, he says we're given this hope. Hope is a confident expectation or an eager expectation that I believe motivates purity. We're saying as he is pure, I want to live my life pure as well. Amen? So you see how this kind of flies in the face. In fact, we're going to contrast that in a second with the next verses of those Gnostics that said it didn't matter how you live your life. John's saying, I beg to differ, because a a true, genuine follower of Christ is going to be committed to practicing righteousness. They're going to be committed to abiding in him. This is what it looks like, and this is what it means for the believer. So there is a group of people that are saying, hey, I don't always get this right, but I'm committed to Christ. And I'm committed to his word. It means something to me. It's like a road map that he, he's given me on how to live life successfully here on this earth. And I just want to yield to that. Now, I don't always get it right. I'm going to mess up from time to time. That's where 1 John 1, 9, as I mentioned two weeks ago, comes in. and That he's faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. But I have this desire to walk the path of, of righteousness. I wonder as Christians today, do we all share that same desire? I want to live in a way that pleases God. But just as the church might want to please God, there's a group of people that are rebellious. They're the ones that say, don't tell me what to do. You know, God's law is like, here's the standard, here's what I want you to do, and the definition of sin is someone that just wants to live life their own way. And we know many people that way, right? Hey, I know what God's word says, but don't tell me what to do. I want to live my life my own. I want to do things on my own agenda. He says there's a group of people like that, and it's called lawlessness or sin. Look at what he says. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not make a practice of sinning. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. See, this is the rebellious, the one that says, I don't have to, I can claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, but I don't have to live my life in accordance to his word. In fact, I don't like the people to tell me, don't preach at me, don't tell me what to do, right? So there's those that are that way as well. In verse 7 it says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do or practice What is right, it shows that they are righteous. When they do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. Now, how many of you know we've been made righteous by the blood of Christ? So that, I think David mentioned this last week, as God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son, Christ Jesus. He didn't look at me and go, eh, you failed this week or not. He sees his son and what he did on the cross, and by the blood of Christ Jesus, we have been made righteous, right? And so now, we just want to live our life in a way that honors him for what he's already done for us, and I want to walk and live my life in accordance to righteousness. He says, when people do what is right, when they desire to follow God's rules, his law, his word, it says it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Now, the keeping on sinning is not referring to that little pet sin that you fall into from time to time and time again, but it's referring to a lifestyle, a practicing A continuing of a sinful, like, don't tell me what to do. I want to live life my own way. He says those people that live like that, they're not submissive to God's word. It says it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. How many know he did it on the cross? I said, how many you know that he did that on the cross? Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. But God's life is in them. His seed is in us. Can you say Holy Spirit, right? And his Holy Spirit dwells within us. Wednesday night, David spoke on who is the Holy Spirit. And it's comforting to me to know that God's Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, lives in us and guides us in all truth, convicts us. Have you ever done something wrong and immediately felt this thing in your chest going, "Mm, I wasn't right? That's the Holy Spirit, and I'm grateful for that, right? and he says that his seed is in us or his life God's life is in them so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil anyone who wants or does not live righteously and does not love others other believers does not belong to God he's making it absolutely clear these gnostics these antichrists these people that are denying who Jesus is, they're not living in obedience, they're not living in love for other people. He's saying, those guys are imposters, and they may have been in your church, and they left your church, but you just need to know right now that they never truly belonged to God. Because if they would have, they would have remained. They would have loved the brethren. That's how we know, right? And so I believe there's two groups of people. Ultimately, there's those that don't want to submit to God's ways and there's those that say hey i want to submit to god's ways i won't do it perfectly but i have this desire to do just what is right according to god's word and he says that if we do that when he returns we can stand in absolute confidence as we stand before him bold in our speech and i think that on that day when christ returns there will be many that will shrink back and shame some that don't know him that rejected him that denied he even existed and they're like oh wow." That's the Jesus that I've been denying this whole time, and they'll realize, wow, and they'll shrink back in shame. But I also think the same thing is true of believers, that we can shrink back in shame, not as a loss of salvation, but I had such a great opportunity in this life, and I blew it. I kind of lived it for myself selfishly, and I was focused on me and not living for him. And, And I think my encouragement to you and John's encouragement to the early church is, hey, listen, Let's practice righteousness. Let's realize that it's not just about a profession of faith like I know Jesus, but there's an action that goes along with that confession. Amen? That that we're not just sayers, but we're also doers. We practice or we abide in him. And when we do, we can have that confidence in His appearing. We can know that we know that we know they're in his family. Have you ever wondered, am I in the family of God? Am I really saved? Hey, listen, if you have that question today, let me just say this. If you're like, I really don't know if I'm a believer or not, can I just challenge you to read this little epistle of 1 John? Because he lays it out so clearly. And it's like, if I hate people, especially other Christians, I might have a problem, right? If I'm rebellious and I hate God's word telling me to do X, Y, and Z, and when the preacher says that, it it makes me mad, I might have a problem. And so if you wonder today, if you are in Christ, am I saved? I would say, Take a good look at 1 John as a litmus test for your life and and just know that God loves you and God wants you to practice righteousness. He wants you to trust him for salvation and to walk in him. And I would say to you as a believer today, are you abiding um, in Christ? Are those characteristics that I listed a little ago with that Greek word minnow, are they evident in your life? Do you look at Jesus as your guide? Do you say, I want to follow my... My life according to Jesus' pattern. I mean, I'm so thankful for the incarnation of Christ because before that we have this God in heaven that's telling everybody what to do, and then Jesus came and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life, a perfect example for us to follow. People to this day still look at the teachings of Christ and say, like, hey, well, Jesus said, even unbelievers will go, they, they, they don't want to submit to him. They believe he existed, like Jesus, man, he laid it out in the you know, the golden rule or the Sermon on the Mount, right? Are you abiding in him? Are those characteristics true in your life? Do you love other believers? Is God's word in your heart? Do you want to please him? Do you desire to please him, even when you don't do it perfectly? How important is staying connected to fellowship of believers? I'm not talking about just living water, but how I many you know the body of Christ is global? And to say, I'm committed to being somewhere. I move away. I'm going to find a fellowship to get plugged into, right? But are we committed to the fellowship of the believers? And do we let the Holy Spirit guide us because he is the ultimate guide? That would be my question for reflection today um, as we, we close. But we're called to abide in him, to practice this righteousness. And a genuine follower of Christ will see that evidence in their life. It's my conviction. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your word. And what I want to admit, just like everybody else would probably do as well, we don't always do things the right way. In fact, if we were told that you would be here tomorrow at 10 a.m., many of us would be scrambling. Many of us would be cleaning up our Internet search profile and history, and many of us would be getting rid of some of the movies in our house. We would go make that phone call. We would reconcile with that brother. We would clean house, so to speak if we knew, in fact, that you're coming tomorrow at 10 a.m. The reality is is we don't know when you're going to return. We just know that you are. And my hope is that we would live our life in such a way that we would abide in you, that we would practice righteousness, Lord, in such a way that when you do return, we don't have to hide in the corner hoping you don't get eye contact with us or worried that that, 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 that whatever it is that we've been doing is gonna be exposed before you, but that we can stand kind of like Buddy the Elf and say, that's my Jesus, I know, you know. <clears throat> Father, would you give us a desire, Lord, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers only? <clears throat> would you help us to see how important it is for us to live our lives in testimony to other people around us that Uh, We don't just call ourselves Christian and live completely opposite of that lifestyle like the Gnostics did, but that we would say that we are followers of Christ and we would back it up in speech, in conduct, in attitude, in love, committed to your truth of who you are, committed to obedience and committed to love. Lord, if there be anyone here today that has not placed their faith in you, I pray that they would see their need for you. And Lord, that they would see the urgency of the situation as well, to know that one day, and I believe one day soon, you're going to return. And when you return, that's when it really gets, really gets serious. And I, I pray, Father, that there would be um, that conviction in their heart to draw them to yourself, and they would trust in you for salvation. Lord, I'm just reminded of the craziness that's going on in our world today. It seems like the world's getting darker. Lord, there's some hope in all of this, but it feels like the world's getting darker. And I'm just reminded that even in the darkest environment, the little flame of a candle can bright, can shine even brighter. And Father, I'm asking that you would just put it in our hearts, Lord, this desire to shine bright for you in these dark days, so that we um, can can live our lives as uh, a testimony of who you are and what you've done in our lives, and we can show other people the way, the way to eternal life. I humbly ask it.